Two and one, base is loaded. Ball three. Left on left slider to try to get Lianka to buy, but Lianka did a good job of not offering at that pitch. And now with the count 3 to 1 and bases loaded, Peng Xing has to go after Lianka. This is a game that took place yesterday. On one side, you had the China Trust Brothers Baseball Club. 3 1 count for Lianka. On the other, the Uni President 7 Eleven Lions of the Chinese Professional Baseball League. Full count. Bases loaded. The CPBL is the only pro baseball league that is currently in action, playing in empty stadiums. But it is also the league that many other sports leagues are paying close attention to as a possible return to play template. Will hit! Will hit! And gone! It's a grand slam! Woo! Dancing Lions time again. Yeah. Even without fans inside the stadiums, the CPBL is drawing major viewership numbers. But what is it like for an athlete to play in front of no fans? Dancing time for the Lions. The hand-washing songs. Josh Renicki is a former major leaguer and is currently pitching for the Uni Lions. He joins us on the Sports on Pause podcast. You know, Donovan, one of the interesting things about um, trying to get a handle on where the professional sports leagues in North America will ultimately be is to look abroad and to see how baseball is being played in China and in Taiwan and when ultimately some overseas basketball leagues start uh, attempting to get going again. And this will be a major part of our conversation with our two guests today, Josh Renicki and Jeremy Lin. And so, you know, my thought is that there are a lot of bright people who work for the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, et cetera. And I think they will be paying very close attention to how these overseas leagues return and what kind of things they can mimic or put in place in the States. And I guess to me, the most interesting thing will be they probably can't duplicate it because obviously societies are different, but how close can they come to duplicating what's working overseas? Yeah, it's a good point. And it's one we've touched on periodically on this podcast. For those who want more of it, go back to episode three, where we talked to Brian Windhorse about the differences between what's going on in North America and China. That conversation was in reference to the NBA, but I'm really interested in talking to both Josh and Jeremy Lin about the differences and the cultural differences. I mean, we don't have the draconian type measures that they have in mainline China around making sure that people actually listen to the measures that health officials are being given. We also don't have the infrastructure to just be able to build hospitals because we need more capacity. And, and that's something that was the case. And when you look at Taiwan, people using these countries as comps, in the third week of January, Taiwan had its first case and so did the United States. Taiwan hasn't had a death from a case in the last week as we are recording this. 
the United States has had more deaths than they had in Vietnam. So it is entirely different. And I want to hear from Jeremy and Josh about how those different realities have manifested themselves into their ability as athletes to return to play now or, or in the foreseeable future. And that's a good segue, Donovan, for us to get to our interview with Josh Renicky, a former Major League Baseball player who is now currently playing in Taiwan. Josh Renicky is an American professional baseball pitcher for the Uni President 7-Eleven Lions of the Chinese Professional Baseball League. Josh has played in the MLB for the Reds, the Blue Jays, the Rockies, and the Twins. And if the last name Renicky sounds familiar, if you are a baseball fan, that would not be surprising. Josh has some great lineage in his family. He's the son of Gary Renicky, the nephew of Red Sox manager Ron Renicky, and I also believe the brother-in-law of Rockies outfielder Ian Desmond. Correct. And Josh Renicky joins us on Sports on Pause. First, Josh, uh, I just want to get an update on how your family is doing, and obviously you're in a different part of the world right now, so... Specifically for you, how's your family doing with COVID-19? And I imagine you are wearing out either FaceTime or, or Zoom, keeping up with everybody. Yeah, um, they're good. You know, we just had our baby girl, our third girl, about a month ago. So I was there for 12 days or so, and it was locked down as, then as well. So they're doing the same thing we were when I was there, just playing outside, going to the pool, hanging out. And obviously, it's a little more difficult without me being there, but... That's our fourth kid, so I'm sure my wife has her hands full. Where is there, just so we know? Oh, I'm sorry, Sarasota, Florida. You've been making this sort of the journey from Florida to back overseas then? Yeah, so I was here for spring training, left March 15th, flew home, was there for 12 days. We had our daughter, and then I flew back here on the 29th of March and then was quarantined in a hotel room till April 13th. Let's talk about that quarantine. What was your experience like being quarantined in China relative to what the stay-at-home orders have been like in North America? Yeah, it's, it was completely different. Like, like I said, I was, when I was at home with my family, I mean, we can go outside, we can go to the you know essential places like grocery stores, but in that hotel, it was like a, a specific quarantine hotel, so you can't even leave the hotel door. Like I couldn't even go in the hallway. They would bring three meals a day, so I'd open the door and grab the meals and then drop off trash. But besides that, it was 14 straight days of being inside that room. <laughs> 14 straight days in a room is enough to you know, drive a sane man insane. But for your purposes, and we'll eventually get to sort of your playing in the, uh, in the CPBL, but this is not only a journey for you where you are physically, but you have to deal with the mental stress of having your wife and family in another part of the world. What's that just experience like? You know, it's one thing to sort of have to deal with that when times are normal. It's another thing to have to deal with that in, in times of a global pandemic. Especially with a newborn. And believe it or not, it's not our first time dealing with this because in 17, I was in Mexico in the finals and I flew home and we had just had our daughter our third child and I had to fly back to pitch in the finals and Hurricane Irma was coming right to Florida which was the biggest hurricane size wise, like of all time. So I'm, I kept tracking that and just seeing it going right in the middle of Florida. So that was kind of scary as well, but luckily nothing had happened, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, 
we try to be, you know, as positive as possible. And it's not an easy situation back home from what we hear. And I know people are struggling and getting impatient. But, you know, I think with our, our Christian faith, we kind of have the Lord as our backbone. So we say our prayers and just hope for the best and, and try to stay positive. So routinely throughout these conversations, a staple question I've asked athletes is, do they feel comfortable returning to play? For you, that's a bit nuanced because you're, the comfort is your family safety at home, but also comfortable going back out and playing into an area that was hit hard by the virus. Do you feel comfortable now that you have returned? Yeah, and that's the amazing thing. And so when I was coming out for spring, you know, there were some worries. And I know my mother-in-law and some other people were like, you know, he's really going out there with, you know, China's right next door. And amazingly, this is the, I think, close to number one safest place in the world right now. It's You guys would be so surprised. I mean, I'm walking around every day. The whole country is doing what they do on a normal basis. There's been four, a little over 400 total cases this whole time and six deaths out of 24 million people. So it's pretty amazing. It's just everyday life going on. And compared to back home, it's it's night and day. Pro baseball in Taiwan started its season on Sunday, making it the first of the big leagues to play ball this year since the pandemic brought sports to a halt around the world. The China Trust Brothers took on the uni president 7-Eleven Lions. Taiwan has only had a few hundred cases of the coronavirus and a total of six deaths thanks to early detection and an effective response. The health minister says the Taiwan CDC has been preparing for this for years. Johns Hopkins University had predicted that Taiwan would have the second most COVID-19 cases in the world. But today, there are 80 countries and territories with more than Taiwan's 329 cases. This analysis of Taiwan's response to COVID-19 credits the island's health officials for taking action early, boarding flights and screening for sick passengers. Passengers now fill out health questionnaires on their phones. Even more amazing is that Taiwan has done this without closing its shops or its restaurants or any factories or even markets. Schools have also stayed open, although students were given plastic protection screens. Taiwanese in self-isolation are delivered food and other supplies, as well as home visits to check on their welfare. At least you're treated like a person and not a virus. It's the combination of small gestures and big data that's given Taiwan an unprecedented edge over other countries in controlling COVID-19. Taiwan's response has been, as you say, among the best globally. And their first case was, you know, literally days from the first case in the United States. Why do you think they've been able to respond so well? Is there something that we can learn back here in North America? I got to think, I think just being an island, just being so isolated and being able to shut travel down, being an island makes it a lot easier. But I know, you know, President Tsai out here, she and the government shut down the travel from China, I think February 7th. And then they, they stopped all cruise liners coming in and porting here. So that happening pretty quick, just, I don't know, it's just uncomparable, I feel like, to compare it with the United States and a lot of the other, a lot of the other countries. I don't really know what, besides them shutting down that travel, but, you know, other countries also did that as well. So I don't, I don't know. It's just to have 400 cases is pretty impressive. Josh, can you give us a sense um, as a professional athlete, what kind of testing you've had to go through, what kind of testing you will have to go through, and, and just a sense of medically how it will work for you? 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, the, everyone's doing their things they would do normally without this pandemic, but they're also taking precautions. And no matter where we go, you know, we go into a mall, you get a temperature checked, sanitized. You go in a hotel, you get your temperature checked. We get on the bus, on the road, check our temperature, go into the stadium, check our temperature. So they're, they're doing all that and just making sure that just being as cautious as possible, just so they're aware if something does spring up. But besides that, there's no other tests. I mean, when I came out of quarantine, I even offered if they had an easy way to test me for it, I'd be more than willing to because I don't want to go to the team, you know, being asymptomatic and not knowing I have it. But I guess similar to the States, you can't really go get a test unless you're showing those type of symptoms, which I was not. Coming out of quarantine, how did your body and for you specifically, <laughs> your arm bounce back from being in a, a room with isolation? So luckily... I walk in, it was a pretty small room with two like queen beds or twins or whatever. And I right away, I flipped up one of them against the wall and like moved the couch around the back wall. So I kind of had a little workout space. So the team sent a basket full of weights and bands and stuff. And so every other day I'd do a workout and I'd stack the comforter of the bed in the corner of the couch and throw the actual baseballs into that. And then I also had a weighted ball that I'd throw into this sock that straps around your forearm so the ball stays in the sock when you release it. <laughs> nice. For those of us who've obviously never um, seen this league uh, or have seen it on TV, can you give us a sense of just what the level of play is like in the Chinese professional baseball league? Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a hitter's league. The ball kind of flies. The hitters can swing it. I mean, hand-eye coordination-wise and back control, they can. there's a lot of talent with the hitters. And then I'd say the the local arms are probably lower level besides maybe a handful of guys, which is why almost every single import is a pitcher. And it's been like that for a long time, I think. And then defensively, it's probably lower level as well. They still have the, the anticipation and, and jumps off the ball are a little different than they are in the States. Culturally, it's also a hitter's league where guys are coming up to the plate and there's chance specifically for that hitter. The league is known for its raucous fans and even cheerleaders. What's it like without that? It's yeah, it's quiet, man. It, you can hear everything. It started in spring training. I think I had one outing in spring when it was no fans, and it's very quiet and, and a little unusual. But I mean, they're doing what they have to do, and like you said, the fans get very loud, and and the the music's always playing, and the cheerleaders are nonstop for nine innings, which is impressive. So we're kind of just looking forward to. <laughs> the fans getting back in here. I know that they love the game out here and they've been tuning in on TV, I believe with a lot of viewership, but we're anxious to have them back in the stadiums. You played in, in major league baseball. You have relatives who are currently in major league baseball. And now you're going through this experience. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, no fans, temperature checks, basically when you walk in arenas, these are things that in some form, major league baseball players are going to have to do, over the next couple of months, do you have any sense or, or could you at least sort of give us a little bit of your thoughts on how all these, um, this kind of new normal for Major League Baseball players, how you think that will play out this year, particularly I'm interested in your viewpoint of no crowd, no atmosphere, and probably these guys playing games like it might have been for them, you know, in junior high school or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I keep hearing about the plans for the MLB and like I said, it's it's impossible to compare to how it's going on over here just because the threat over there has been a lot more relevant than it has been here. But, yeah, there's some tedious things you have to do, but it, it's easy to understand why why we're doing it, and I'm sure the guys over there 
as impatient as they're, as they're getting and probably bored. I'm, I'm sure they'll do anything right now to get out there and play this game. I mean, every single one of us are fortunate to play this game for a living and, and get paid to do it for as long as we have. And, you know, some of the guys over there that aren't, aren't big names, I mean, that's a paycheck. And you have, if you have a family, it's, that's your job. So it's exciting to get back out there and start making some income and providing Last one for me, Josh, and that is, you know, you've had a really interesting career uh, given the different cities you played in, including our home city of Toronto, and now you're playing in the CPBL. You've had a chance to play overseas, and you're still going as you sort of head into the latter part of your Mm -hmm. uh, 30s. Realistically for you, do you have a goal in mind as to how long you want to play, or are you, you know, in a sense like the rest of us, sort of taking it day by day right now and season by season and just trying to play a sport and trying to get paid, you know, and doing something I think that so many people, if they had the opportunity to do, would do? Yeah, I mean, I've been going back and forth for years, and I got my degree actually two years ago when I was out here. I took my last class I needed from UCLA to get my diploma. But um, just waiting for something to stand out, you know, that I want to do. And it's it's hard. It's hard to have one foot in, one foot out. So this team, you know, they, they've offered me a contract three years in a row. And, you know, it wasn't like I was forcing them and, and, and really making them have interest in me. But, you know, every offseason came and they reached out and said we're interested again. And, you know, having our fourth kid, it's hard not to accept a job, even though it's far away. And it's good pay over here for especially playing a game. But. You know, I've been saying it. I'll do it as long as I can physically, but it's it's harder and harder with leaving the family this far away and having those kids being at that age where they change so much. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Again, I go into every offseason just kind of playing it by ear, and maybe I'll reach out to maybe the other side of the game and and see if something's there. But not off the top of my head, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah, we appreciate the honesty and, and, and I think can totally understand that. UCLA is a good degree, Josh. You'll be okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Josh Renicky, as we mentioned, is uh, he's a baseball pitcher for the uni president, 7-Eleven Lions of the uh, Chinese Professional Baseball League. It's really sort of living an incredibly interesting life, particularly given where Taiwan is and the COVID-19 situation in relation to a lot of the rest of the world. Josh, we wish you uh, nothing but uh, being safe. Best to your family, and thanks so much for joining us on the Sports on Pause podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. You guys stay safe. I mean, I didn't say it, but Toronto is one of my favorite cities ever. I love that place, and I miss playing there, so I appreciate you guys. Well, our thanks to Josh Renicky for, I think, some pretty interesting insight into how he's navigating both COVID-19 as well as being in a situation where his family is back in Sarasota, Florida, and he is earning money across the globe. And Donovan, that's a mentally straining situation, regardless of anything else that's happening in the world. And now couple that with the pandemic. There's a lot on Josh Renicki's mind, and we wish him the best. Yeah, and he has something in common with our next guest in that he is an American who now has new perspective on this crisis because he has spent some time abroad. But Jeremy Lin also is different. I mean, he's much more than an NBA champion. His family is in the United States, but his family are descendants originally from China, where the outbreak has been quite widespread. He's now running point for the Beijing Ducks. But 
it's not just the fact that he's a high-level athlete or a Harvard grad. He's an Asian-American, which gives him a unique perspective to this crisis and how it's really been a issue for him both in China but in America. And so Jeremy Lin is doing some great work with his foundation around COVID-19 response, but he's also working with Be The Light, and he's our next guest on the Sports on Pause podcast. Jeremy Lin is much more than an NBA champion. The United States, where his family resides, is the epicenter of the COVID-19 crisis. China, where his grandparents were born, was the first country to have a widespread outbreak. And the crisis first hit when he was running point guard for the Beijing Ducks. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. And first and foremost, how are you and your family doing? Uh, we're all doing well. We're all safe, which is amazing. Thank you for asking. I want to get your perspective, not just as a high-level athlete or Harvard grad, but you know, as an Asian-American who has a very unique perspective on this crisis and is doing some great work with it through the Jeremy Lin Foundation and the COVID-19 response, Be the Light. What has this experience been like for Asian-Americans in North America where you're trying to fight at the same time a deadly virus, but also the public perception of xenophobia and, and at times hate crimes? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a tough time. I think it's a tough time across the board. And I think, you know, everyone's hurting. And, you know, obviously, Asian Americans right now are, are, you know, dealing with targeting and things like that. But honestly, my heart is compassionate, even towards some of the people who, you know, may be doing these ignorant hate crimes, because I think that's coming from a place of, you know, misunderstanding, or it's coming from a place of uh, where they're hurt as well. And, and so, you know, I'm not condoning it by any means. I'm just saying the whole world is hurting. And it's really difficult to see, difficult to watch. And uh, for me, as somebody who cares so strongly about, you know, Asian Americans and, and social justice, um, and, you know, it feels like we're taking steps backwards. And, um, and that's, you know, really, really difficult to see. Yeah, that's well said, Jeremy. We certainly, uh, we echo those sentiments on this podcast. We've spoken to a lot of people who sort of fit into the nexus of sports and COVID-19, but generally speaking, they've been North American people. You have experience in China that I think most of us cannot relate to because we are obviously either in Canada or in the United States. Can you just give us a sense of uh, what it was like in China in January when, um, the Chinese Basketball Association shut down and just your own experience is sort of having to navigate this as the pandemic uh, really sort of begins in China. Yeah, I mean, when it actually, to be honest, when it first really, really, you know, broke out across China, I was on break for Chinese New Year. And so I had already left Beijing and the whole league was already on Chinese New Year break. And then uh, it got worse and they and we got word like, hey, don't come back yet. And so from there, from vacation, I went straight home to California. And next thing I know, like my teammates are in quarantine uh, for 21 days. You know, a lot of the players live in dorms and they couldn't even see the person in the room right next to them. And they had food dropped off outside their door. And they couldn't come in contact with the people that were dropping off the food either. Like, it was very, very serious. But I was in California just 
and I was being selfish and ignorant and I was just like, oh, that sucks. But I, you know, I was, wasn't really doing anything about it. And it wasn't until the lockdown in California started while I was in California. Next thing I know, I can't go anywhere. I can't even go to the gym. And uh, that's when I was like, man, I need to do something. You've got perspective on how this crisis has manifested itself in both countries. What has the handling of it in America been like in comparison to the handling of it in China? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the hard part is actually, you know, when everything happened in China, I was already back in the U.S., um, and I think that's what contributed to me not really understanding the gravity of the situation. You know, I knew about what my teammates were going through, but I didn't go through it myself. So I didn't take it that seriously. It wasn't really until I, in Palo Alto, when the whole Bay Area was like, we're legitimately going on lockdown. You can't go outside your house unless it's to the grocery store or to the doctor or something that's really essential. Like, it wasn't until then where I was like, oh wow like so that's what it's like and i'm in my house trying to find ways to work out and stuff and i'm trying to get groceries to last me for a couple weeks at a time and that's when i was like man this is serious like this is much more serious than than i thought like even though people were telling me about it through text they were like oh yeah like i haven't left my house in three weeks i just i don't know for whatever reason i didn't think that much about it and so I actually wasn't here when everything happened, so I wasn't able to really see firsthand how the government handled it. Jeremy, can you um, give us a sense from your perspective as a professional basketball player, what realistically would you be comfortable with in terms of playing within this pandemic? Like, would you be comfortable doing some kind of quarantine? Would you be comfortable having to test yourself and temperature checks every day? It'll be different, obviously, in China than it probably will be with the NBA. But can you give us a sense just as a professional athlete, what you'd be willing to do to get back to playing basketball again? I mean, I'm, you know, and I think what I'm doing right now kind of speaks for itself. You know, I came here and I had a 14 day quarantine in a small one bedroom room. And I'm saying like, when I say small, there's just enough room for a bed and like a desk. And that's it. Mm. Um, and I couldn't leave or come in contact with anybody for 14 days. And, and even then, that was six weeks ago. And so, you know, we're looking at potentially starting up in July. And so, you know, for three and a half months, I will have been training every single day for a season. I don't even know if it's going to happen. I love the game. I love basketball. And I'm willing to stick this out and to see what happens. And I'm totally fine playing with no fans, although that's not my preference. I'm totally fine with temperature checks every single day. That's already what's happening. I, I get five temperature checks every single day. Every time I go to the gym, every time I go to my apartment, every time I go to a restaurant, anytime I go anywhere, it's full-on temperature checks every single place you go. And so I have no problems with that at all. And, and I think as long as everything is controlled and people are constantly getting you know symptoms and temperatures and everything uh, checked out, uh, I'm comfortable playing in front of no fans. I, I wouldn't be comfortable playing in front of an arena with you know 10,000 fans, but you know, I would definitely want to play basketball. So we've had many celebrities actually come out as advocates of Chinese Americans at this time. Sadly, the president of the United States was not one of them. But what can other people do to help? I mean, the first thing I would urge people to, to do is to remember we're all in this together. For each ethnicity to separate and then ignore everybody else we will only go backwards. We will only make this harder than it already is. We're all in this together. 
whether we like it or not. And we need to band together and be unified in it. And that is the reality. And so, you know, if people are looking for things to do, I mean, I think at the very minimum, the first thing you can do is just try to spend a little bit of time putting yourself in other people's shoes. And that's across the board, right? Like, kind of what I was saying is like, everyone is hurting right now. And so for us to be able to all pause for a second and put ourselves in other people's shoes and to be able to find a little bit more time for love, for grace, for empathy, for compassion. And, and like, sometimes the best thing you could do is to just not do something or say something or post something that's hateful. I'm not even saying like, oh, everyone needs to donate their salary or everyone needs to go to the front lines and, and feed meals to the homeless. Although all of that is great and I would love for people to do that. But at the very least, I think we all need to just start by maybe stopping some of the hate that is going on in the world today. And that might be calling somebody out that you love and being like, hey, man, like that probably isn't the best way to think about it. Or that's not the best way to go about it. And that in and of itself is a step in the right direction. And we just need everybody to take small steps. And I think we'll start to see a big difference. Well, you are doing all those things and you are donating, giving 500000 to Direct Relief and Feeding America. Uh, you're matching uh, donations additionally up to 500000 And you're also looking for other organizations to get involved with. So at Jalen7 is the Instagram handle. Thank you so much for all you're doing and the conversation you continue to start. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. So Richard, I know this is a audio medium, but I had vivid visuals as both Jeremy Lin and Joss described their experiences in quarantine. It sounded like jail, to be honest. It sounded like solitary confinement. And the thing that I was struck by was one, how serious of an issue this is, but two, how much these guys both really love their craft really, really deeply love their sport, that at the back end of their careers, they went through experiences like that just for the chance to continue to play. You know, you get a real sense from both Josh and Jeremy, the seriousness that the government there took quarantining. You know, it's there were no, let's go outside for a couple hours and go to a park, even if nobody is there. And it gives you a real sense of uh, maybe why, at least in Taiwan, that, um, you know, they've been able to curtail this pandemic. Obviously, there are many other things that factor into that, including culture and the government. But, you know, professional athletics obviously has its glamour and its glitz. But these guys gave you some insight in that, you know, they're sort of dealing with things uh, very much like the rest of us. And I appreciate uh, both Jeremy and Josh's um, transparency when it comes to some of the things they had to deal with. And that takes me to our last word, and I'm going to keep it right there. And I'm going to promote a piece that Jeremy Lin wrote for the Players' Tribune, and he's he's done a couple of good ones. I really enjoyed one previously about uh, hair, you know, and the backlash that he had when, when he had dreads as a member of the Brooklyn Nets. This one is about a topic a little bit more uh, important, but still very heartfelt. The Darkness Has Not Overcome It is the title. It's, it's on the Players' Tribune, and it is about... Many of the things that he talked about in our conversation about the, the bullying, the hate crimes that Asian Americans have faced in the United States of America and, and really abroad around the coronavirus and how destructive it is for someone like the president to call the virus the China virus. It, 
is a good and long read. Give it your time. Uh, Richard, what uh, stuck out to you this week? Well, Donovan, I'm going to um, cite my old uh, employer, Sports Illustrated, who did a piece on um, Laurent Duvernay Tardif that uh, Canadians will know him. He's a uh, has a doctorate in medicine, and now he is using his medical skills and, and medical knowledge to fight the coronavirus outbreak while working at a long-term care facility in Quebec. So that's there's a piece on Sports Illustrated where he talks to writer Greg Bishop, dated April 27th, 2020. So check that out. Uh, this is a pretty brilliant guy who already owns a Super Bowl ring, and, as well as a doctorate in medicine. And now he is putting his brain to use by helping out fighting the coronavirus in Quebec. Speaking of medical professionals, thank you for all the great feedback we got on episode five when we profiled Haley Wickenheiser and her drive to get more PPE. Please continue to support Conquer COVID-19 and please continue to support us. We thank you so much for liking and favoriting and sharing and subscribing and messaging us on many platforms telling us that you appreciate this. We appreciate you. So until next time, stay safe, take care of yourself and others.